Welcome aboard the Cygnus. Consider yourselves my guests. You've lived out here for 20 years? Alone? I've created companions of a sort. We can offer you the means of returning to Earth, Doctor. What makes you think I want to return? I will travel where no man has dared to go. Into the black hole? Why, that's crazy! I'm just telling you that I had a gut feeling that... that I was looking at some kind of person. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Welcome back to the Couch Command. With me today, oh, um, let me introduce myself. My name is Keith. I'm the host of the Couch Command podcast on popgeeks.com. With me today, I have my friend, Chuck. Hello, I'm here to talk about Disney's The Black Hole, and I'm uh, very excited. Love that film. Yeah, it's, this is uh, actually Chuck's idea um, from a long time ago. Like, when I was like first starting to try to get the podcast together, and whenever I talked to Chuck, Chuck would be like, I'll be in it, and we're going to do The Black Hole. So, this has been a long time coming. Glad to have you on. Thank you. All right. Also, I have with me Matt Dot Doc Falconer. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I knew it. I knew we were going to do this before, and we just never got to it, right? Yeah. Oh, I also found like old notes. Me too. I, I took. <laughs> Dude, I found these old notes. They're not good. They're not good notes, but they're mm-hmm. notes. And uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got more on that later. But hi there. Hello. Good. Good to be here. Also, we have MJ. Greetings, programs. <laughs> all right yeah yeah like we did plan for this and like it was just it kind of fell out for whatever reason but like while i was like taking my notes i was like wait where and i looked through i was like oh whoa i already have a bunch of notes to rock it through but to start i think we should begin with um our beginnings with the movie uh black hole um i'll go first i saw black hole as a child <laughs> um likely too young to be watching it uh but back in the 80s that happened all the fucking time uh my only memory of it when i first watched it was the explosive lightning bolt that went through my entire brain and nervous system when i didn't look away because i thought i was brave enough but like uh dr the evil doctor uh uh reinhardt 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 yeah he's floating in space then he dips below the camera. Then his face disappears, his hair wild, his eyes wide, and just like this, this, this horrific jump scare that I've never forgotten my entire life. I was a single digit kid, and that fucked me out hard. Um, I think that's why I never watched it ever again until we had a conversation with like um, one of my best friends back when I was a kid named Scott. And I think he mentioned, he's like, Yeah, you mean with the one where they go end up in hell at the end? I'm like, What do you mean? What? And. We watched it again, and sure fucking enough, he's like, yeah, pause on our SDTV, lakes of fucking hell, of, of fire. They went through actual hell. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I've always had I had love for this movie, off-kilter, Star Wars-ish. Um, but yeah, that's my the beginning of it. Uh, next, I'll go with Chuck. Why is this movie so special to you? 
Why would why do you insist on this one? Well, because one thing it gets shit on quite a bit, but also a lot of people don't know about it. It's become quite the cult classic in the past couple of decades. And um, there's a lot to love about it. There's uh, especially considering there's a lot of hate for it. Oh. So, and and as a lover of uh, the Star Wars prequel, uh, I guess this just <laughs> falls under that for me, where it's like, oh, it's a movie everybody hates, so I, I love it. People finally come around to the prequels, including me, and Chuck was always on board with defending it. Even when at the height of the hatred of it, Chuck was there going, nah, nah, you guys are missing yeah. something. Yeah, even, I mean, I still watch them. I watch them more than I watch the sequels. So, uh, yeah, that, that says it's something be- to me. Yeah, the sequels are why I was like, okay, maybe I was too hard on the prequels. <laughs> and especially watching the prequels with the uh, director commentary. Goddamn, that was so much yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. But what, where I first saw it was back in the early 80s, 81, 82, 83, around there, um, my parents got what was called Select TV. Now, that was sort of cable before cable as we, we knew it, you know, in 80s. Uh, cable I think that's how I watched it, too. I- I was going to call it Z. There's another thing called ZTV, but I think we watched oh. it on Select TV. Yeah, yeah, and you, you get like a cable box, but I think there were only like four channels or something ridiculous. So you'd watch yep. that uh, along yeah. with cool. your over-the-air television and four channels. Um, I I can't go into much detail because I don't remember much of that from a kid, but I just remember like you could watch movies. So that's where I. I saw the black hole for the first time. Um, my dad wasn't big into sci-fi and fantasy and stuff and mainly sci-fi, but, uh, yeah, so he had it on one time and I watched it and just it like seeing empire for the first time when I was four. I mean, I didn't know what the fuck was going on, <laughs> but the mu- J- John Barry's music with, with the awesome just cinematography and the designs of the robots mm-hmm. really spoke to me. Uh, so I watched that, and we had uh, my my dad got like uh, a big satellite dish um, to that we put in the backyard, so we would watch satellite television, and we would get the Disney Channel, and they would occasionally play that on the Disney Channel back then. And then uh, for cr- uh, Christmas of '85, I believe, um, uh, we went to a uh, my parents took took me to a liquor store <laughs> to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to rent movies, and they had uh, in their little bin of movies that they were selling, they had the Black Hole for sale in the old clamshell white Disney uh, VHS box. Oh yeah! And so uh, yeah, they got they bought that for me. It was my stocking stuff for Christmas that year. And what's what street uh, was that liquor store on? Do you remember? Yeah, well, this was uh, in Milwaukee, right? No, no, this was, I grew up in, um, in sort of like middle of Wisconsin okay. and, uh, it was just some small, small town. Hold on, hold on. I'm, I'm confused. The, the, this liquor store is selling v- Disney VHS. Uh, you could rent movies from yep. this liquor store. So you would go and before get- Blockbuster, that's how we did. There was like this liquor store that was on like a major street. And then there was like this back room full of VHS tapes and yeah. no one would let me pick Mac and me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which for your own yeah like they let me choose like a lot of weird stuff and they're like no this one is no keith <laughs> we're not getting back <laughs> <at me." laughs> so yeah i've been a fan ever since and then when it came out on uh dvd uh uh in early aughts uh yeah that's when i picked it up and yeah i i loved it ever since loved it ever since 
All right. Uh, MJ, what's your start with uh, the black hole? Uh, kind of same boat with you guys. I The last time I saw it was when, in my preteens, and I barely remembered any of it. The only things that really stuck that I could remember was the massive meteorite rolling through the hull of the ship towards them while they're trying to run away, and oh yeah, um, Vincent and Maximilian, the robots, floating around, and um, the end shot with uh, Reinhardt in Maximilian's body in the fires of hell. For some reason, those are the only scenes that ever stuck with me. I couldn't recall a single detail otherwise so it was kind of a trip uh re-watching again a couple days ago in preparation for this and i really enjoy the movie it, it's awesome. i mean i i can see why you wanted to do this movie after the star wars episode we did because you know black hole came out in that wave of sci-fi movies that were all greenlit by the studios after the first star wars movie was such a huge no, excuse me such a huge success so yeah, it's, it was it was a trip going back and watching it again, and and this is the yeah. first time since you were a child that you've seen it. Yep, yep. Oh, wow, I watched cool. it since I was a kid. This would be interesting to hear more about. Yep. Um, and then Doc Falconer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So same. Uh, the last time I watched this, besides the first time we were going to do this, was as a kid. And my major memories as a child were I was scared of everything. Everything yes. in this movie scared me. This yes. cemented space is a scary place for me. From like the robots to the music to uh-huh. yeah, um, MJ, the giant fireball going down the, 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 the hallway. It was all scary to me. Um, but one of my big memories as a child was my brother had a model of Maximilian. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, nice. That he slapped together. And I remember thinking that that design was so awesome as a kid he was just like so scary and cool looking robot uh, darth vader robot darth vader you're right oh my gosh yeah wow. max was fucking dope as hell like i i agree the the feeling of just absolute horror <laughs> as a kid yep. just being dragged through hell watching that movie because nothing was beautiful or fun or safe like you, the whole can rupture and you suck down to space like this isn't star wars no no, yeah, yeah. Space was a scary, dark place where robots kill you. Was yeah. my takeaway. Well, what's interesting so that, that, is, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. The thing about the movie was that um, it did come out post Star Wars in uh, 1979. It was actually Disney's uh, Christmas film for that year. If you could believe that <laughs> the whole family, <laughs> the whole family. Yeah, everybody, 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 get in here. Christmas memories aren't right in the chest. <laughs> well, I remember it came out in the late seventies, early eighties, during that kind of darker period of Disney movies, where like the Witch Mountain movies, and they were just making these darker tone movies. And I was like, "That's this isn't Mickey Mouse. This is mm-hmm. weird. It's cool, but this is this is Disney, really." Yeah. Well, a big part of that was a couple of things. Was um, well, Walt Disney's death really shook up the company and. When he died, what was it, 66 or somewhere around there? And um, so the CEO at the time um, in the early 70s, uh, which was when the black hole was actually proposed um, because of the success of Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure, uh, like those disaster films. It was meant to be a disaster film for Disney, and the CEO wanted to um, sort of branch out beyond the typical Disney brand and start focusing more on adults than more mature material. So that's where this movie came from. And, wow. Uh, 
And it's interesting oh. that that was right around the beginning of the what you know was considered to be like Disney's Dark Ages. You yeah, know, like exactly. Seventy to eighty-eight. Um, yeah, like you had the black hole, which was dark. Something wicked this way, this way comes, oh, which was part of that. Uh, Dragon Slayer, uh, which was done in partnership with Paramount, uh, and the Black Cauldron, um, which was sort of the end of that era because it was such a bomb. Even though it's real quick film, how many of us have seen Something Wicked This Way Comes? I've saw it a few years ago for the first time. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as MJ. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, um, there was like this period of time where I, I hacked my uh, um, NVIDIA Shield so that I could just like see any movie ever. And it was really fun, just like kind of touring, like, what the fuck is this? And then getting your mind blown. Uh, something wicked this day. Something it's based this on comes. a Ray Bradbury book? Ooh. Uh, yeah, it's pretty goddamn astounding. Like, it's, it's really cool. Like, one of those movies you never heard of, and then you see it and you're like, how the hell did I never ever hear of this? Um, wow. the visuals yeah. yeah so like it's it's on par with i uh, like yeah like that the the scary feel of black hole that yeah like that era i'm pretty sure that was like in the heart of the satanic panic which is why mm. we got so much held uh imagery in the black hole and back then i was um a literal christian believer so seeing hell or demons or uh the devil whatsoever like struck that much hard on me so it was just yeah, but that it, it just scared me that much more because I was once a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> something we never do that I, I've seen other podcasts and whatever do is go over. So, what is this movie and what's it about? And for like listeners who maybe have never seen it, uh, Chuck, what would you say this movie is? What's it about? I would say, and I think maybe Roger Ebert. Uh, kind of set this up for the film but he kind of called it a haunted house film and i mm-hmm. kind of see that um basically it's about a team of uh space explorers who simply they discover a uh, a large uh spaceship on the edge of a black hole and strangely enough it's not getting sucked in and so much like the beginning of Alien, where the ship was rerouted, uh, uh, the Palomino, which is the ship that the crew is on, they divert their course to explore this ship. And what's interesting is one of the characters on, on the Palomino, Dr. Kate McRae, uh, played by Yvette Mimu, I think her name is, um, her father was uh, uh was supposed to be on this ship which was uh called the Cygnus. And mm-hmm. it, it appears that the ship is derelict at first as they approach, but then um things uh transpire uh that it turns out that the ship is still inhabited and so the Palomino um Palomino lands and uh the, the movie's about the crew uh checking out um what's going on in the ship as they're making repairs to uh to the Palomino. And right. uh I guess we're t- we can talk spoilers, it sounds like yeah. so <laughs> yeah. Um yes. so another thing I want to talk about is how much this isn't Star Wars. Um it's kind of interesting to me, like uh before Star Wars became Star Wars what people thought star Wars was. Cause, um, uh, like to me, like I, I kept on seeing it throughout time and like grumbling and rolling my eyes, like, uh, this or, uh, the fifth element, uh, also 
it's the new generation of Star Wars. And I'm like, okay, guys, stop. Do you know what you're even saying right now? Because Star Wars, the, the, the power of it was how much it felt like you had shown up on a Tuesday in this world. And once you leave, it has been going on. It's going to keep going on. And that's what kept people coming back to it. And that's like why it was so successful. Versus other people trying to do Star Wars, all they're doing is a space a space story, but it yeah it opens and closes in one shot, and therefore you're not going to have people coming back to it all the time because the Palomino like they you know the Million Falcon that that ship was there before the movie it's there after the movie Palomino destroyed everything destroyed there's no world to go back to so I just kind of wonder like. Did they know what world building was back then? Uh, did they just not care? Were they mystified as to why people weren't coming back to this confusingly closed-end story? Well, I think the problem was that uh, because the production schedule, the production time was so long, it was the screenplay was originally written in 1975, and again, it was based off of uh, it was inspired by successful disaster. Yeah, successful disaster pictures at the time. Um, oh, the original okay. name, I think, was called Space Station One. And mm-hmm. uh, from what I recall, it was quite different than the, what we ended up. There were various, various, uh, numerous rewrites and change of directors. And Disney kind of shelved it until Star Wars blew up. And that's when they were like, oh, oh quick, let's, let's pull it out and see what we can do with it. And it was a mix of Star Wars with Alien the success of Alien that made them change it into a much darker uh, picture that has less of um, the disaster elements because sci-fi and horror were really getting, you know, the the full steam at that time. Did Alien Um, really influence it that much? Because Alien only came out six months before Black Hole. Yeah, yeah, there were some, um, there were some, uh, it had some kind of inspiration for it. In fact, uh, I, I uh, Sigourney Weaver was considered for the role of Dr. <laughs> Kate McRae, and because the uh, the director wanted Sigourney Weaver, and so I don't know, he must have had his pulse on Hollywood and what was going on with Alien during that production, because he wanted Sigourney, but um, the casting director hated her name so much, yep. just the name, that... What? The, Sigourney yeah, Weaver, yeah. that's not a star's name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's usually all it takes. Yeah, and that, yeah. something that's that's that arbitrary. Of, that's what's kind of weird because I mean, if Sigourney Weaver had been in the black hole instead of Alien, yeah, where would, where would Alien be? Very where different would Sigourney timeline. Weaver be? Yeah, like if that movie it didn't bomb. I mean, it made back its money and and an extra. I think I don't know twelve fifteen million. Um, so it it was a failure in Disney's eyes and maybe you know Hollywood's eyes. But how would that have affected her career? Yeah, for sure. But I think it's really interesting what you're bringing up is this went through so many different changes in production. It kind of hits a note that I took is that this movie can't figure out its tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's, you know, chasing, to... it's, it's chasing so many, uh, not so many, but it's it's chasing different uh, uh, tones such as like, yeah, like this is a, a crash, a, a sinking ship uh, story, but it's also Star Wars, but it's also horror. It's also right. gothic horror. 
It's also yeah. Disney with the cute robots and, <laughs> yeah, and the, the cute cartoon robots. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had heard that those that the robots they were thinking, okay, we need an R two D two, we need a C three PO, we need something kids are gonna like and buy toys of. We're gonna make Vincent and Bob, and they're gonna be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so uh, it's so great, though. He's the smartest bastard ever. It's great. He's a he is a he's a total <laughs> bitch, and I love him. He's killing it with constant one liners, like nonstop. Constant. Like he is a just such such a champ, and honestly, I love Bob too. I didn't realize that was Slim Pickens. I'm every time I rewatch it, I'm reminded it's Slim Pickens doing Bob, <laughs> and I love both of them so much. I love them as a kid, and I love them now. Uh, the characters that designs are so good, and just like just like the fact, like old Bob, not just because he's beaten up, but if you look at the structure of of the character, it feels like it's an older model of Vincent. Vincent has a lot of clean, smooth, rounded lines. Like, for example, the dome on top of his head. Well, if you look yeah. at old Bob's, it's sort of like three pancakes stacked up on one another, kind of squarish as they kind of go up to a point. Right. And Vincent has like this nice smooth dome. So they really put a lot of thought to the character design of the bots, which I which I always loved as a kid and um and still do today. They did, yeah. And I was actually kind of thinking that all the wires sticking out of Bob, I wonder if that's supposed to be evocative of messy hair and facial hair and stuff. Yeah, one thing I noticed was like um he has like a little tuft of wires coming out like <laughs> under his eyes that reminds me of yeah. like a mustache. God yeah, bless. exactly. Slim Pickens mustache. That's Why so is funny. there a guy named Slim Pickens? Is that his god given name? <laughs> I, you know, I was reading about him today and I want to say yes, but I doubt it. All right, all right. Uh Lewis <laughs> Lewis Burton Lindley Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just remember Slim Pickens on too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're all yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm Slim Pickens as well. Wait, what's so slim? I'm Slim Sickens. <laughs> so uh yeah, there's definitely definitely the character design and the voice work with Roddy McDowell as uh, Vincent and Slim Pickens as Bob. I mean such such a such a great relationship and, and it's interesting that, you know, you meet Bob sort of I don't know, maybe a third of the way in the film, but just like the connection that Vincent and Bob makes, you know, not a lot of, uh, you know, they don't have a lot of exposition or whatever, but it, just seeing them together and them talking just really, you know, makes oh, yeah, they're instant, that relationship. They're instant bros immediately. Yeah. They're best pals. And it's like, it's obvious and it's not really forced or anything. And it's like, you know, honestly, it's kind of, you know, like C-3PO and R2-D2 seem to have kind of an antagonistic relationship to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're the odd couple in space. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, <laughs> hey, listen, love them. Would never, couldn't uh, have a have a negative word against them. But yeah, it's really nice to see these two like immediately being like, hey, hey, what's up? Not too much. Want to go get pizza? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah Spencer can only pick on Pizer for so much. Pizer needs a lot of staff. When you meet when you beat Bob, you feel bad for him. You know he's this old beaten up guy, and like the first thing, like Maximilian, before Bob has a line of dialogue, Maximilian shows up and knocks them over, knocks knocks them off the, what a the jerk. console, and you know, and and you get uh, the the lines that Bob had with Vincent about Star, the precursor to Maximilian, how Star did things to him that he wouldn't want to think about again or repeat. You know, it's just like this underlying abuse that you got a sense of that Bob got, and you just want him to have a friend and then Vincent shows up. Hell yeah. That was beautiful, yeah. and Vincent fucking steps up for his brother. He's like, nah, nah, no. Nah. Let me just show these guys. And freaking Blast Star. Was, yeah. That, yeah. That scene always makes me smile. 
if one dance, one must pay the piper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. My first note is, um, uh, so when we were talking about have, uh, doing this podcast, uh, MJ brought up that Dean Cain did his own The Black Hole movie. And oh, God, unfortunately, I, I, I watched that. Oh, I'm uh, so sorry you watched that. You yeah, watched yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a movie called The Black Hole, uh, also called The Quantum Voyage. And um, there's no reason it should ever be called Black Hole because there's no black holes in it. And it's a uh, really bad movie that is so bad it's not really worth your time. And it's up. It, it ends up being one of those Star Trek episodes where someone like you know walks around a corner and trips over like their birthday cake. Like, why is their birthday cake there? And then, like, their friend walks up and says gibberish, and then they blink, and they're in another place and at the lunch uh, cafeteria. And it keeps doing that, and you're like, what's going on, I wonder? And it's because one mm. the, the person's in a coma, and Ugh. they're telepathically talking to their friend who was in a car accident. It was so bad. What? And, what? Um, Where are the they robots? Should, <laughs> they should be sued. They should be sued for ever putting the name The Black Hole on that movie, and... Yeah, um, no, that they should be sued for bringing Malcolm McDowell into it. Ooh, bastard! Yeah, Ooh. he kind of walked in and out of uh, scenes at the start and beginning. You, you knew he he was like there for one day of shooting, and that was it. And that was uh, yeah, that that was part of my uh, rewatch of Black Hole. So I just had to bring that up to. It's not that bad. It's, it, it, no, no, it's uh, it's not so bad that you should watch it. It's not even fun. It's a really, really bad movie. Mm. So yeah. sorry I found it. I really, <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but thanks for going through that for us. And uh, yeah, now we don't yeah. have to. So the, mm-hmm. yeah, this... appreciate. Wait, take one for the team, man. No yeah. problem. I, I, I hope I help some other people out there. To I think, not I think watch you did. Anybody King who King. listens to this, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Dean. Yeah. Save your time. Save your time. No, don't apologize, to Dean Kane. He's okay. I did it. I did. Apologize, <laughs> apologize. Everybody else has to watch his stuff now. <laughs> he's no longer Superman, kids. Dean Kane seemed like he was having f- uh, fun in it. Oh, you, you, did he? Oh, no. Well, it's fun to have a job, you know. <laughs> I'm working fun to have a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to get paid. Yeah. Um, paid. Oh, interesting aliens uh, reference or connection potentially. Um, uh, in aliens, like uh, Frost talks about being, you know, Octorian Puntang, and then like some guy was, that that the one you're with was a guy, and he goes, "Doesn't matter if it's Octorian," and they go, "Oh yeah!" Everybody high fives and everybody's happy. Um, and in this, uh, there's, um, a plant called Octurius Tevin, uh, Octurius, oh. Octurius Sep, ah, 10, blah. Anyway. I missed that. Ooh. Oh yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But the thing well, I was watching with the subtitles on, so I saw, oh, Octurius. Nice. Yeah. That's the thing about watching films. Like I've seen Black Hole dozens and dozens and dozens of times and like each time it's like i notice something new and i love that when it happens mm-hmm. uh in a movie like today i was watching it um like getting ready for the cast and uh i uh i i i noticed something i've never noticed before um during the fight between maximilian and vincent in the end uh Vincent actually shoots off Maximilian's uh, spinning blades. I think I saw it too for the first oh, yeah. time. It happens so quickly that, and I'm like, pause it. No, he, he like, shoots off hey, a blaster. No, no, he, he shoots off because uh, Maximilian still has both spinning blades around, okay. and uh, Vincent is stepping, is like floating back and constantly volleying shots at mm-hmm. Max, and it uh, 
shoots off one uh shoots off the left blade first and then the right nice. blade and i'm like i never noticed that so and that's when uh max switches over to uh i think it's like the um it's her uh, arms or something yeah yeah the the thing that uh, electrocutes vincent um yeah i think okay then i'm not sure if i noticed it or not because like i think he also takes out max's blasters because that's when oh. they start going to me- melee Oh, interesting. Yeah, because Max shoots old Bob, and mm-hmm. then he brings... Yeah, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta watch that again. Yeah, that, that, that movie has great detail in it. Um, they, yeah, they, that, they definitely cared. The the effects work, the cinematography, I mean, the music, uh, the music really, really sets the tone of the film, I think, and uh, done by the late, uh, great John Barry of uh, classic Bond films. And... Uh, this and Star Trek The Motion Picture are the last movies to do overtures at the beginning of their movies because it just fell out of style. That's why they stopped. Hey, I got hey. something about that. Mm-hmm. So the overture starting, like we just, uh, look, I know what they were doing, but they straight up had a black screen for two minutes with the overture, yeah. overture going. And just like, hey, hey, everybody, it's the black hole. Everybody this, ready? This, well, this is what I- we're doing. I think I think the thing that overtures were meant, I think it goes back to like um, theater, live theater, where Hey, you guys in the lobby. The uh, the show is starting. The production is about to start. You better get in here. So the the orchestra starts playing music to let people know. Oh shit, we better get to our seats. So I think that carried over to motion pictures. Um, yep. and then fell well, hold style. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like the the overture would normally be done over credits, uh, for something in older movies for sure. They wouldn't just do it over a black screen. Oh, oh, well, see, I did. Uh, Star Trek do the same thing. Was it over credits or well, motion picture did, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, um, most. Well, well you the overture starts before the credits. I thought that's. I mean, I I listen. The, 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 I'm I'm always happy to be proven wrong. Um, and you're but, wrong. Like, you're wrong, sir. <laughs> that's not I'm, proving. You're just saying it. I know. <laughs> so I'm so happy. Oh, wait, you're right. Ah, ah, you're gotcha. just saying words. Gotcha, gotcha MJ. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I will submission until you just admit. No, um, but um, but yeah, for sure. No, I agree with you completely. That is something that they used to do uh, before older movies. They'd play the credits and they'd play the overture. You get like a little taste of all the songs. They certainly do that for musicals. You know, you get a little bit of this, a little bit of that uh, for all of them, and then the, and then the movie or the show starts or whatever. But um, I would love to like if there's an example of another movie that just straight up had a black screen for two minutes. Before the credits started, mm. and that's the beginning of the movie. I, yeah. I think this was a deliberate thing that the black hole did. I think because it's a black hole, so you get you know two minutes of black. I like. I was like, there's like, oh, there's something wrong with my computer the first time I saw it. Oh, yeah, I totally <laughs> understand. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what's interesting is, and I'm glad they did this. Was the overture was actually kind of like the hero's theme because when the mm. black when the movie starts with the title credits uh you know it's the black hole theme well this was sort of the heroic theme that was playing when um when uh later on in the film when the crew is trying to get to the palomino and they're under attack by the sentry bots and they're in that huge sort of i'll call it a cab like a canyon cab like this area where there's the sentry robots are all on a, on a yes. bridge. And they're oh, shooting the canyon. It's like the we'll main corridor. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's more like a, a canyon. Canyon. Yeah. Would you call it a canyon? Yeah, a canyon. Yeah, a bit, 
bit of bit of a canyon. <laughs> a little bit of a, little bit of a canyon. <laughs> kind of like that. Corridors they're running through. They're running through the corridors. Yeah, but then oh, they the went corridors down through are that. in. It's, it's the area where the big like meteor is rolling yeah. down, and then they run yeah, across the sure. bridge. And so, oh, and Bob and Vince get them in the crossfire. Yeah, I and actually, a huge set piece to be used later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I feel like like that music that they play, like when they were doing like the heroic stuff. Like it, it, to me, it almost felt like it. It was almost too much. Like, yes, it's so, exactly. It's so heroic sounding. Like, oh, here we go. It's now off. it's time for heroics. It felt it off to me. Yep, yep. Mm. I, I've also been wanting to say that. Like, the I love the heroic theme. Um, and like when it comes to like stuff like this, that I love. I love faults. Um, I love that it's so uniquely off. But yeah, yeah like um, with if you watch the older Bond movies, they do the same thing because like they'll, the, they'll the have Jordan scenes of like. Oh, sorry. Keith, you're cutting out there. You're definitely oh. cutting up. Oh, shoot. Uh, I don't know. Uh, can you hear me still? Yeah. Okay. okay. I was I was saying really quickly that, like, I love, like, I love how, uh, like, in the dark, uh, almost hopeless circumstances where, where the main that da-da-da-da works better at, like, hearing the da-da-da-da, like, Superman's about to fly in, it, right. it always felt wrong. And yeah. I, I, I love I mean, the wrongness. Well, right. The thing yeah. Is, this, yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean, Matt, because uh, if you watched a lot of the earlier Bond movies, they would play the James Bond theme that Barry also wrote. Um, so good. Over just the most benign scenes, like there's one scene <laughs> in Dr. No where Bond's just walking around in his hotel room. He's walking around, checking Brushing for bugs, teeth. just looking around, making sure there's no dust in the counters. And they're playing the full-on James Bond theme, like, there's... What? Nothing adventurous <laughs> or heroic about this scene. He's just walking around his hotel room. That's ridiculous. Wow. That's wow. that's what you guys have to go to the theme for incidental music? Really? Because <laughs> the that's thing like, is, I, think, I think about the black hole, but that scene, I think there was because there wasn't a lot of dialogue, and here they have the great John Barry. It's like, all right. Mm-hmm. Do what, yeah, the the yeah. Yeah. do what you want. Do what you want. The thing is, is like the rest of the music is just so evocative. Like mm-hmm. the uh, like the the main theme, like ba ba na ba ba na na. That whole thing, yeah. like that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Same. And listen, I'm going to be saying that a lot as we talk about this. Is it some things that scared me as a kid? But like, yeah, that music over like the green computer looking hex, not the hex, but you know, the lines and stuff. And um, it just like it, even now that music comes up and like I'm a little scared. Yes. Like, the music is eerie. what it feels like to fall into a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah. Which is great because. The, um, that that green um, grid that you mentioned. Great, thank you. Yes, it eventually uh, forms into the black hole as yeah. as the credits continue and you go into it. So that you know, it's like you're going it, down. Oh, you're right. That is what it feels going, like. You're getting sucked into the around. black hole. Yeah, you're spinning mm. around. And then you get sucked in. So it has like this Ugh. nice sort of rotation sort of feel to it. That's so I cool. Think. I love I love stuff like that where you can like really see what the composer was going for. Um, that's such a good point. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just taking something and and making the music evocative of it rather than just coming up with uh, just like music just for music to be there. Right. Like Which like like the, the hero theme that we hear. Yeah. Like, exactly. They, they <laughs> like, wanted their, they wanted their Star Wars theme so hard. 
Yeah, or like um, the guy who did Batman Begins that everybody loves. Who's the composer? Zimmer? Yeah, everybody loves that guy. And I'm Hans like, Zimmer? yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Ooh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It, it, yeah, I mean, it's good music, but Ooh, it just, the, the, the Rock. <laughs> I, I I love him a lot, but he his music never sweeps never sweeps me away. Well, well, the thing is, I miss the era of like classic John Williams, where. Or, or even if you want to go for that, Warner Brothers cartoons, where the music actually accentuates the yes. action you see on the screen. Like, take yes. for example, um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, when India is having that fist fight with the German mechanic. Oh yeah, uh, Williams composed and conducted the music to the action on the screen. So every time yes. a, a punch is being thrown, or if if uh, when the German mechanic swings and Indy ducks. It, the the movement is punctuated by uh by the uh wind the woodwind or whatever the instruments like flutes or whatnot uh, <laughs> uh from uh from the uh from the score and right. like people like Hans Zimmer I look at that now and like much like how um how I feel what's his name the guy who did the Simpsons theme in Batman the first Batman Danny Elfman yeah Danny Elfman where he does these great this great sounding music but it doesn't seem to uh accentuate the action on the screen it's just music there to be music to add flavor but not to actually add to a scene right well i think that that kind of gets into why that heroic music over the fight scene seems so weird it was pretty yeah. clear it's just this is just the song happening whereas mm-hmm. uh check like the mm-hmm. things you're talking about like between the heroics you'd be getting kind of tense music are they gonna win something bad is happening you know you'd get like a dun 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 and then like indy would throw a punch and then you'd get like a little bit of the overture mm-hmm. you know because you know always doing good then they do something really big and then we'd get like the big sweeping music ah they're gonna do it but like this song just playing over it, there was no tension. It was sort of like, I, oh, it's just heroic yeah. all the way. I see what you're saying. Yeah, good, good point. Good point. Um, because, well, I think you brought it up, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think also it, around that scene, you know, once um, shit starts to go down and they have to get back to the Palomino, I love how Barry's music adds to the tense, the intensity of the situation of them having to sort of a mix of sneaking, but also fighting their way out. And, you know, if you remove that hero theme, I think um, Barry does a great job with a lot of sort of the bass and the lower tones of the music. It really adds to the the anxiety I get from that part of the film as they're, as they're trying to escape. And that's why I was mentioning earlier um, when we were talking over uh, Discord here, um, if you guys want to check out a piece from Barry that actually does really good with setting tone and it's a little more consistent, check out the uh, soundtrack from Race of Titanic. That's oh, one of my favorite scores of his ever. Thank wow. you for pointing that out. Yeah, I, I didn't know he uh, he did that, so I'm, I'm excited to check that out. Yeah, uh, one of the pieces from that music is my daily recentering music because sometimes oh. I get so oh, carried. Wow. I'm like, okay, recenter. But I'm John Barry. <laughs> Okay, huh. we're good now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Like good. Yeah, well, one interesting thing about the soundtrack of the movie is that uh, it was the first motion picture to record its music digitally. Uh, and it was recorded on a 32-track uh, 3M digital recorder, which apparently made it difficult for the full score to be eventually released. Um, which eventually it, it did in 2011, but the the reasoning was that the technology was so old and outdated that the people at is it Entrada is that is that the name of the there's some soundtrack company that releases obscure uh, scores like full scores oh yeah 
and uh, they they had to somehow get the recordings off of this old digital recorder, but eventually it did. So you can get the full soundtrack, which which is a great thing. Uh, let's yeah. see. And, uh, another note, um, when it comes to uh, spaceship designs, uh, Palomino is quite the uncomfortable death trap looking of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and like, so uh, that's another like problem or quote unquote problem I have with it is the lack of like, um, building a world that looks like it actually works where uh, um do you think that like you know that they're are there space explorers they would last long in what looks like a lunar lander and the lunar lander also is perfectly designed to land within the uh the cygnus and convenient yeah like everything the cygnus landing pad is shaped so that the palomino can land into it making you wonder like do does every ship look like the palomino or well, well definitely not. not, because remember the uh, they were going through all, when they were trying to figure out what the USS Cygnus was. They were going through all of those um, silhouettes of the other ships, mm-hmm. and they all look so janky. Yes, <laughs> but I love it. Me I too. I mean, it feels it. invocative of like you go back to the sixties and seventies and look at like paintings that pop uh, sci-fi. Yeah, but even stuff like, for example, when Ralph McQuarrie worked, he did paintings for NASA, and he did sort of like, okay, what these ships could look like in the future. It's very much in that that vein of of kind of janky, blocky, um, even like 2001, where it looks like it could be real, and they're not super streamlined like you would see in, say, like Star Wars or, or Star Trek even. Right. Yeah, because I remember they're in space, so aerodynamics really don't don't matter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at old rocket ships and shit, and they're cool, but they're not necessarily sexy. And like looking at the <laughs> Palomino, I definitely did get something like a vibe of like, okay, this could be real. I mean, to me, anyways, like it feels like it could be real. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be because, like we you mentioned about the lunar lander, visually there's some kind of d- ties to it, and I'm sure the production designers looked at what we did what NASA has done in real life and thought, okay, 100, 200, 300 years from now, what could it, you know, what would the evolution of that be? Right. What kind of weird ass ships might they come up with and, uh, you know, made, made more for a purpose rather than like looking cool. Like, yeah. And, and maybe, like, Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say like, um, how much do you think they understood or cared about needing faster and life faster than light travel? Because it didn't look like it had a hyperdrive or anything, or I'm just wondering, yeah. like maybe that's just a level of like sci-fi. They're like, we don't care. Okay, we're not. Well, yeah, I don't think they had a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and that thing was janky. All you yeah. know, and, yeah. I, I, <laughs> they had an eight-track player in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I like, right. listen, FTL Keith. That that went into the realm of hey, 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 hey. hey don't worry about it. Hey, <laughs> nerd. Having fun. Yes, how, sit down. how far away from Earth was this black hole? Yeah, no because it, it always struck me that Palomino that could not have been that long of a range because they didn't. It didn't seem like they had any like hypersleep capsules on the ship or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have to say one thing I wanted to mention was, and this may answer that question. I highly recommend picking up and reading the novelization. Um, it's one of those books where I mean, it, oh, the one so- that Alan Dean Foster wrote. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. and there's so much more to it than, um, than what they they 
stay in the movie, show in the movie. Um, well, well, you heard what happened when uh, Foster was looking through the script for the novelization. He came up with a list of suggestions that uh, caused an emergency meeting with the Disney brass. Because, like, oh, God, this thing's a scientific train wreck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, definitely, in the end, I, I, I'm not sure how... As a kid, I never understood it because, like, when they're trying to climb up to the, you know, the probe ship to get away, and how are they breathing? Are they outside of the ship? What the wow. fuck? Are, how are they alive? Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, you also oh, notice how yeah. Bob was the only one who got cold when the air was getting sucked out of the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, yeah. Out of, out of uh, the yeah. What's the term looking for? The greenhouse part of the ship. Mm-hmm. But then the the organics are like, oh, poor Bob is cold. Like. You guys would get cold before Bob. What is yes. going on here? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, junk science. It was, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, we should not be worrying about this. Is a pulp fantasy adventure, and like well, uh, it, I, the lot of like looking up black hole has Neil deGrasse Tyson popping up every so often, going, "It's so inaccurate." Like, hey, Neil, chill, dude. No, this is not well, your you place ha- right now. You have to wonder if it would have been more scientifically accurate if Harlan Ellison hadn't been fired the first day that he was working on it. Maybe. I, and do you, just, I'm do you guys ever hear about that story? No. no. I heard about it, but I don't know any of the details. This ought to be good. Um, Harlan Ellison was hired to be the scientific um, consultant for the movie, but he only made it halfway through the first day. He was at lunch with the crew and was joking about making a porno movie with Disney characters. Damn. And Walt Disney's nephew was sitting at the table next to him and heard all of it and took it seriously and had Ellison fired on the spot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. I was just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's what Ellison tried to say. I was, like, I was just joking. It's like, no, dude, you, you don't mess with the bread and butter of Disney. You just don't do it. Don't talk about holes with Harlan Ellison. <laughs> Speaking of not well holes, uh, I would say like um, doing a a remake of this one would be okay. Like the um, this one's classic and amazing. Although I think the remake I'm thinking of exactly right now is Interstellar. I was thinking like mm. now that all that all everything we know about black holes, how interesting would it be to play around with the physics and what would happen around it? And oh, already done. Never mind. It's interesting you bring that up. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, they were going to do a remake and they got canceled because of uh, Interstellar coming out. Cool. Oh, wow. So were they yeah. going in that direction? Yes. Yes, they were. It was too similar to Interstellar, and uh, and uh, in fact, they were sort of hinting that they were going to do it because in Tron, is it Legacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, they the the son of. Uh, Oh god, not Jeff Daniels. Yeah, who am I thinking of? Uh, the son, son of, of Flynn. Flynn, son of Flynn. Uh, yep. Yeah, he has a poster of the black hole hanging in his bedroom. Ah, uh, awesome. Oh. Um, fun fact: the first black hole ever found was called Cygnus. Whoa! Oh. Is it? Is it because it's in the thickness? There's, I don't know if it's a galaxy or That's if cool. it's a constellation. Star cluster or something. I, 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 I'm not sure exactly where it is, but... Yeah, because uh, Cygnus was supposed to be called Centaurus originally, but then they changed it to... Once the black hole was introduced to the uh, plot, they changed the name of the ship from Centaurus to Cygnus to match the name of the first black hole that was discovered. That's cool. That's and what's, cool. Another interesting thing is like um, wh- how we think of black holes in the first place. Um, I was wondering, like, so when did that image change? Because, like, I remember most of my life, you think of black hole. That's what a black hole looked like from that movie. 
And then you mm-hmm. saw it in like Stargate and everywhere. And then uh, I think it was 2019, as late as 2019, that's when like uh, Black Hole became a sphere with that uh, accretion disc around it with that loops over top of it. So mm-hmm. like mo- it's just kind of cool. Like most of our lives and last only freaking few five years or so. Now we see black holes as something different. It's kind of fun seeing that changeover happen. That's yeah. science. Always, always changing. Always oh, yes. learn more Still stuff. Yeah, I guess Interstellar came out in 2014, so earlier than that. But oh my god, that was 2014. Yeah, that's yeah, what. Well. No surprise. No, stop. Time slips into the future. It's gotta quit doing that. I've had enough. Easy there, Steve Miller. <laughs> keeps on. Keeps on. <laughs> So was I was the only one who was kind of entertained by the fact that um Norman Bates was the one empathizing with Reinhardt. <laughs> that is you know, I <laughs> I always you know, it's always been in the back of my mind like is this is this intentional? Like uh him like kind of teaming up with the narcissist like madman. Uh, I, oops. Yeah. At least Brian wasn't talking about his mother halfway through the movie either. So is that? Is that yeah. I wonder if his casting. It was like how well if we're gonna kill somebody off, like the 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 uh, audience is gonna like not feel as bad if it's Norman Bates. Yeah, the nice bloodless kill there. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Which oh. is, I mean, in retrospect, that was incredible considering it's a Disney film. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it was Disney's first PJ movie, and it was kind of fun reading about how much of an uproar that caused back in '79. Like. PG yeah. causing an uproar? Really? Yep. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that kill fucked me up hard. <laughs> like, like, and also, like, I, I guess, like, the one person that Maximilian probably wouldn't need to kill, who, like, it's, it's kind of like weird that Maximilian chose that guy first. Oh, okay. But by that time, by that time, that guy was changing sides, saying, thinking that um, the doctor was evil. So I can see why I was, yeah. I was like, that guy has been on the doctor's side the entire time. Max, I don't think he's the one you need to worry about. Well, I think oh, that there, was smart. He would have changed his mind as soon as Reinhardt showed up, looking like a Bond villain. Seriously, the guy was. <laughs> oh boy, get a get a. Get, I don't know a haircut. Get one of your corpses to give you a haircut. But um, so some something that I noticed with this was that guy. He's, he was technically the science officer, Norman Bates, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Movies like that. I would say even through today, there is always this deep distrust of of science officers in certain kinds. Of movies um, or shows, we're sort of like, yeah, you can't trust that guy. He's a scientist. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> or the doctor, my... yeah. the doctor or something. Yeah, but look at Lost in Space. Oh yeah, uh, that's a original yeah. Galactica. Yeah. 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 yeah, there you go. You know, or, so you can't. Uh... Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Please, please, more. Well, sorry, you just got <laughs> me on this uh, train of thought. Like, or Ian Holm from Alien with the android who goes bad. He was yeah, science yeah. Guy. So what's with that trope? Why why is it sort of like they're like ah well you know you know you can trust the red blooded American captain of this ship but we certainly cannot trust that scientist. You can trust the cowboy too. All right, he's he's oh, on the up and up. He's um, good real quick. Bad. Is this the model that your brother had, Matt? Uh, oh, let me look at the notes and stuff. And that's uh, I believe that's the one. Let me take a closer look. Oh no, that's not the one because that. Oh. Let me let me find the model. I'll look it up really quick. This guy's got little silvery parts. It looks like you're put together with magnets or something. Yeah, That's as a pretty- kid, I definitely wanted me some black hole toys, but never found any at all whatsoever. That yeah. looks like a Rock'em Sock'em bot instead of Maximilian. 
If you yeah. want to get cool <laughs> toys, uh, definitely check out Diamond Select. They oh, yeah. released uh, a few years oh. ago um, awesome figures of Maximilian, Old Bob, and Vincent. Um, oh, yeah. I've, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah, they, I, my, they come with all the attachments, all the different arms and guns and stuff. It's so cool. Dude, like yeah, I've seen pop need. figures of those guys. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Imagine. hell yeah, they, they'd be great pop figures. Um, speaking of guns, uh, that's also what I always wanted. The, the I, I'm, I'm positive Star Lord's blasters are an homage to those two doubles, like top and bottom blasters. Yeah, I noticed that I when I rewatched those. it. Yeah. When uh, I was a kid in the early 80s, and um, my friend Seth and I would play the Black Hole, we would use our Empire Strikes Back cloud cars as the Black Hole. Oh, nice. I'm pretty sure someone did that in my neighborhood. And then, like, I think I was way late to the party. Well, I used my Black Star blaster cool. as a kind of, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm posting pictures of uh, Wilt Chamberlain's model from the <laughs> uh, the 80s and i'm gonna i'm gonna find a completed one too here it is great i got another one hold on and we can definitely put these in the uh, the show notes but i remember thinking this model was so freaking cool <laughs> as a kid yeah it it is it, i mean it there was is. a lot of merchandise for the film um i had some friends in the neighborhood who had black hole coloring books um i didn't think i had any of the merchandise because by that time you know the movie's come and gone it didn't do that great uh stuff didn't last long on shelves but there were coloring books um disney's uh they had some kind of comic some kind of partnership i think with golden books um i could be wrong but they uh golden books had a a division that did comic books and they would publish like Disney themed comics, Scrooge McDuck and Mickey Mouse and all that. And um they did like a continuation of the black hole. Uh in the end of the picture after they go through the black hole, they come oh, out and yeah. like, new worlds to explore. So this comic book series continued uh continued the story. And it's really corny because you look at the issue of the fir- the first co- the cover of the first issue, and here you see the crew. Uh, you see the captain. You see Kate McRae, and you see old Bob. How- yeah. You see old Bob, and in- standing in front of them is a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and in the background yeah. is a flying saucer of what looks like to be the Jupiter from uh, Jupiter One from Lost in Space. <laughs> <laughs> what like have you guys or- seen the movie? People no, I just draw the comic. We're just gonna we're just gonna make it stuff up. Hey, hey, you hey! Who you wants a, a comic, dinosaur? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> dinosaurs. No, no space, but old Bob. Well, oh, the funny thing sense. is, the the uh, first three ep- issues of the comic are uh, pretty easy to find, but apparently the fourth issue is uh, before they stop publishing is uh, really hard to find. It's actually quite valuable nowadays. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, I... I just I found I, I was reading into this this week for in preparation for the cast, and uh, I found out the, about the comic book series, so I went out and read it, and yeah, it's... Yeah, those last two issues that they set after the events of the movie, that's... <laughs> oh boy. Pretty pretty painful. Uh, what happens? Because, like, I, all this time, um, for, until I found out there was a comic book, I was like, yeah, um, they made it through the black hole, and they're gonna die. Uh, like, I don't think that probe is faster than light, so they're just going to suffocate eventually. Good ending, guys. But apparently they made yeah, it to they, they, 
they get thrown it's it's multiverse they get thrown into an alternate dimension or alternate universe and they see mirror versions of everybody and reinhardt's Ooh. this massive villain oh. who the inter, intergalactic villain and maximilian's second oh, yeah. command Ooh. and kate's looking for the mirror verse version of her father because she's sure that he's alive and he'd know who she is even though she's from another universe and oh my yeah they, God. they start yeah they start going down this hole that you know they're just exploring the the mirror verse and trying to make their way and eventually they want to try and make their way back home but they have no idea how to make their way back home and then they find the alternate verse bob and they befriend him and include him on the crew and yeah i mean they they're building up to something with the first couple issues, but then for some for whatever reason, they just stopped publishing it after four issues and never to be heard from again. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's the wild. thing. It feels like they were setting up for a sequel, um, but yet it felt like a nice contained ending, like how it ended up. But like, how could you possibly do a sequel to the black hole? Like, okay, they went through the black hole and now what? They land on some alien planet and... Uh, Run from dinosaurs. Well, yeah, I was, to, I was trying to figure out what the angel flying through the glass hallway was supposed to be. I was like, okay, were was the pro ship following the angel to heaven, and then Reinhardt and Maximilian went to hell along with everybody that he murdered on the Cygnus? And well. you raise a really good point. I've I've always wondered about the ending, and it seems like the ending was one of those things that they couldn't settle on, and it kind of feels that way. Um, the way I look at the ending personally is like it's about um, the duality of man. Still there? Because cut out. Okay. What? Uh, huh? Yeah, huh? you're here. Oh, okay, you cool. cut out. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Hey, well, yeah. Um, sorry, me... sorry. I just, so Chuck, Chuck, duality of man. That's where you left off. Okay. I'll. Uh, all right. Uh, so the way I look at the ending is that it's kind of talked to me about like du- duality of man that. Reinhardt was supposed to be this genius, but also a madman. And the kind of robe, Jesus-looking space Jesus guy flying through the air, through the hallway, is supposed to be the good side of Reinhardt. The uh, you know the, the 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 intelligent scientist who was hopeful and he was so passionate, but then it drove him crazy. It made him evil. Hence Maximilian. So like it's almost like his spirit was split into two. Okay. Half of it goes to heaven, but then the other half is supposed to reside in hell for eternity within the monster uh, he created. All right. Um, for the the Christian point of view that me and my buddies thought happened, and how I how I experienced it is that uh, you go through a black hole, and it's such a powerful thing that heaven is another dimension. You go heaven and hell are other dimensions that exist. So. What happened, what I saw was like they went to actual hell and Maximilian and uh, Reinhardt both fucking belong there. Therefore, they are imprisoned there. And then like while these good people are down there, the angel's like, bro, sorry. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing out here? I'll get you out. Don't worry. I got you, bro. And the angel flies out and guides them through basically the gates of heaven out to the other side. And then they're rescued is what I saw. Well, they can't be like 2001 and, you know. Go suddenly evolve into a super being. Yeah, yeah. yeah no Christian imagery there. Yeah, but but I think I think yeah, I, I there's, there definitely is a heaven hell thing kind of going going on there where it's sort of like oh okay you know you're going into the black hole and uh, you're coming out the other side and the and the good guys get the good stuff and the bad guys get the bad stuff. 
even you know? Booth earlier in the movie is like, well, it looks like something out of Dante's Inferno. Like, right. Uh, yeah. 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 On the nose. On the nose. <laughs> Thank you, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> you know, sort of funny, the first time I watched through this, I was like, wow, Ernest Borgnine, he's really just kind of acting for a paycheck right now. He's really he's really just kind of just just not doing much here. And then I watched some other movies with Ernest Borgnine in it, and I realized, no, that's just how he acts. <laughs> yep. That's just how he's he was. He's a character. He's a character, and he's super yeah. fun. Yeah, remember, why does he always have to play the wily, selfish putz who always ends up getting other people killed? Yeah, I mean, yeah. why does he always he was, have to be that character? He was in, uh, was he in Escape from New York? Is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, he was a cabbie in Escape from yeah, New York. Yeah, I loved him in Escape from New York. I really did. Because <laughs> so Booth reminded me so much of his character from the Poseidon Adventure, which I guess kind of feeds back into the whole disaster movie origins of yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, there you go. Okay, if Ernest, Ernest Borgnine shows up, I'm running for my damn life. I don't want him getting me killed. <laughs> don't trust this guy. Don't trust him. No, no, no. But he's not a science officer, so it's okay. Yeah. We got that going he, for I mean, us. He looks like an affable <laughs> guy, but he's going to screw you over at some point. <laughs> what was his position on the ship? What was his deal? He was he was a, what would you say you do here? <laughs> yeah, I'm good with the customers! <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want to jump to conclusions here, but I feel like uh <laughs> I need you coming on Saturday. Yeah. Thankfully he got himself killed to save everyone else. Yeah, by accident. Mm-hmm. Um so happy accident. Happy accident. So I always want to bring up another thing um that scared me as a kid about this mm-hmm. movie. And and that was just the USS Cygnus. Just that ship itself I found terrifying. Yes. Mm-hmm. Something it, about it didn't didn't belong. It didn't belong in space. It looks like a big incandescent greenhouse. Yeah, it looked like a, that was dark a nice forerunner to uh, Event Horizon. Ugh. Yep, and then when danger happened, it just got the place just got worse. It turned once again more hell imagery. It, it oh the whole God. place turned red. The whole place turned into winter. It's just a fucking death trap. And Total yeah, then trap. that amazing shot of the the rolling uh, boulder. Coming down oh, for the heroes. Mm. That, is just... that still looks so good to this day. Like, yeah, it does. does. You want to talk about practical effects? It looks effects? cool, but it makes no sense. Nah. Yep. No. No, no sense. <laughs> not a lick of sense, as they say. Doesn't need to. <laughs> so I have to wonder, uh, was this, was uh, Event Horizon the uh, impassive uh, sequel to The Black Hole? I've heard I a lot of comparisons wonder. between the two. Um, but not, not like, specific connection, but... Because I've always wondered, because I've I've always wanted to do a fan edit where Maximilian and uh, Reinhardt show up when uh, Weir starts jumping the ship backwards, like "Welcome back, Weir." Would have brought the house down. That's wow. Um, well, I mean, I they some... are. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I have uh, I, I have a couple of more cool little uh, interesting tidbits that uh, that sprung to mind when I was just just uh, writing up notes for the movie um, before we were talking about how Sigourney Weaver was supposed to, was supposed to play Kate McRae or was in the director's mind to play Kate McRae. And uh, she got replaced with uh, a cover girl model named Jennifer O'Neill. Now, uh, Oh, her story's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's from, from um... what I understand. This was crazy. So, in order for her to get the role, she had to get her hair cut um, because uh, they didn't want to have to animate or 
use practical effects or whatnot to have her hair floating in the you know the lack of gravity. So she had to cut her hair, and she she went to uh, her stylist, her personal stylist, Vidal Sassoon, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, she was there with the director, and she was afraid. She she was having anxiety about getting her hair cut. She's like, okay, listen, you you cut my hair for each snip of hair. I get to take a sip of wine and they're like, <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. So she takes a snip. You had a lot of hair sip. too. <laughs> yeah. She, she long hair, long, luxurious hair and uh snip drink, snip drink, snip drink. By the end of it, she was fucking trashed. So she was, uh, she, she left the stylist. And uh, I think this was in either Hollywood or Los Angeles, I believe. She she got in her car. She drunk drove herself into uh, into an accident, and she ended mm-hmm. up in the hospital. Not to laugh, but uh, uh, yeah. Oh my uh, god! So yeah, that, that that was a series of uh, bad calls, ma'am. Yeah, sorry, yeah. This is unfortunate. Yeah. Yikes. And uh, yeah, because of that, she um, she couldn't film her role because she's too injured, and so. She was then replaced with Yvette Mimiu. Wow. Again, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her last name. No, that's pretty um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's French. Another Spot fun on. fact, um, the Dastardly Robot star was apparently uh, played by some famous mime, and uh, oh. he hired his other mime friends to play the robots. That's oh. awesome. That's wow. Yeah. I had to admit, uh, like, uh, I was when I was watching the movie today and seeing, um, you know, I never really thought of this, but I'm looking at the Century robots and I'm thinking, how could they see through that helmet? The 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 eye pieces weren't didn't look transparent to me. I don't know if there's a way they they're kind of like chrome reflective. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they could have made some kind of material that was like a one way see through thing, but the way they moved, I mean, it looked really good, and the way they moted and um, they were able to walk themselves around a a set. I thought was so interesting because how the hell are they seeing anything? Um, yeah. And also when it comes to minions of, uh, Reinhardt, uh, I know there's no answer. The answer is key. Stop. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but like, um, Reinhardt, you know, pretty much lobotomized his crew and right. turned them into mm-hmm. robots. So I always wondered like, so why do they care about having a funeral for one of their own? Like that, I, I know that is because yeah, that was that is weird. dope ass imagery. Dope ass imagery, Keith. That's cool. And it right. is I don't want them to change it, but I, I always like. But they don't have souls anymore. They wouldn't do that. But I'm well, you know, it was kind of that. funny. Uh, the mm-hmm. one, um, the one drone crew person that uh, Brant unmasked on the bridge. You know who played that crew member? No, no, the director. Oh what? whoa! Cool. That was Carrie Nelson. <laughs> really? Nice. Wow, nice. that's cool. Wow, that was a crazy scene too. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah that was wild. And uh, and just thinking that they all looked like that, just oof, scary stuff. Especially for a kid. So yeah, also scared of that when I was yes. a kid. Um, but going back to the funeral thing, um, I feel like uh, that was that was a clue. Right, that yes. there was something funky going on, and so definitely it was certainly it was a narrative device, and like you know you're saying it looked cool, and so mm-hmm. that's why we're going to do it. But for this one, I'm willing to say, all right, 
why not? Somehow they have like a little bit of vestige of humanity where left where they're saying, okay, if one of us dies, we're doing this. And somehow they all got together and decided, all right, yeah, we're going to, we're actually going to send people off properly when they die. So there's just like, I think that to me, not only is it a narrative device to use as a clue, but it's also saying, all right, there's a little bit of humanity left in them, which makes it freaking okay. awful that they've been lobotomized even more so that then they're all just forced to do this stuff. Also, I have to get Detective Robert Forster something to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I forgot how much I love Robert Forster. He's such a great actor. He's awesome. Yeah. Because uh, um, another another good one of his was uh, Jackie Brown. I just rewatched that recently. I forgot how great he was in that, too. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm going to guess that... So, there's this mention in the movie of 20 years being passed, and it seemed like Reinhardt didn't notice it. I, can't, I, I don't know like if time dilation was known thing back then, and if that's what they're implying, that him being near the black hole made it so that it wasn't 20 years for him, or has he been alone for 20 years? Uh, I think the idea, based on what I was seeing for this, is that he's been alone for 20 years. And I think it even kind of got brought up that somebody said, oh, he's been alone for 20 years, and that's why he's acting so weird. He hasn't been okay. around people for that long. So I think that's really, there was an actual 20 years. But actually kind of going back to that, um, it, when they first saw the ship and they were kind of discussing, oh, should we go check it out or anything? And um, Dr. McRae realized that that was her father's ship. She didn't seem that excited about it. Mm-hmm. Like she could have, you know, she could have checked it out. She could have not. And I would think that if like, she'd be really freaked out. Oh my God, that's my dad's ship. Well, I got to see if my dad's there, mm-hmm. but she didn't seem to care. It was, sense of, I mean, I got a sense of like anxiety. Like she seemed really anxious. Like maybe she wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, she didn't emote enough of like, I mean, she did ask uh, Reinhardt, hey, is, where's my father? Is my father here? And, um, but she, yeah, I don't know if maybe she was thinking it was too good to be true or I, I don't know. It's like one of those things where you sort of have to put yourself in that position and, you know, who knows I, how one would think. Or she was thinking in the back of her mind, I've seen this movie before. I'm not sure right. I want to know. <laughs> I nah, think I in mean, the background, <laughs> you'd see the uh, the uh, director of the movie tapping his watch. <laughs> you got time. Yeah, uh, you you absolutely. make your, your face. But like, yeah, keep going. Yeah, keep going. No, that, yeah. that listen, like that would have been, there should have been something more going on there. That's how they're directing or writing uh, right there. I certainly don't blame the actress for that one, but like she should have been, there should have been, that. She, to me, she should have been the driving force to go investigate that ship. And I mean, also that might've just been a little bit of like late seventies, like the woman can't be in charge kind of thing. Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, like, no, um, no, no, we gotta. I'm trying to figure out how she's an empath with a robot, with a synth. Oh yeah, let's talk about robot ESP. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I know there was a thing with like the late seventies, early eighties, where like every sci-fi ship crew had to have an empath. And I, I watched Galaxy of Terror, Battle Beyond the Stars, and Space Raiders this week, and all those nice. movies, uh, there was an empath in each of those crews. I'm like, no, Star Trek the Motion Picture, empath in the crew. I do kind of remember Star back Trek then, Next Generation, empath feeling like the crew. it was like, an inevitability that eventually humans. In our lifetime, likely we're going to become uh, telepathic. Right. Yeah, that's but fine, you get... but have more than one. I mean, have it yeah, have actually more than one. progress. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, she could only do it with Vincent. Well, in the like, novelization, 
the novelization, uh, one of the things they expanded upon was on each of these like missions where a crew goes out. They, I believe they inserted some kind of a chip into one of the crew mm. members in order to communicate via ESP to the uh, whatever kind of model, Vincent model, that's that's on the, on the mission. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Cool. There's a lot in the novelization that they don't um, that they don't discuss. Like one right. of the things then, and and it wasn't that big of a deal. But looking back, it makes me really want to reread it. Was the fact that this took place, and again, maybe it's because Disney and when the movie was released. But it the whole the whole uh, movie takes place over Christmas. So I think it starts out on Christmas Eve and it goes into Christmas Day. And oh my oh, god, cool. weird! Which I had such done- a, a weird thing. That is super weird. So that's why when they're going through the black hole, the one dude keeps thinking Christmas morning. Oh, hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's the images the are really through. Yeah. yeah that's, I thought he was just trying to think of, like, nice things as he goes through a black hole. So right. that's like, but no, it was actually Christmas morning. Oh. Like, what's that again? I, I he, he was thinking Christmas. I, I might, have I missed this, like... Well, he was yeah, thinking- in the uh, 2001 wormhole sequence when they're going through the uh, black yep. hole. All the little yeah. images are interspersed and the bits of dialogue that they're recalling. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's like it looks like Christmas morning in a few of those images. Man, yeah, that's what he's. Weird. That's what he's. Oh, you know, the only reason I knew. No, 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 no. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I happened to turn the subtitles on because uh-huh. uh, it was like way too loud. And um, the guy, the younger guy. Uh, Charlie Pizer. Yeah, he's actually what's going through his head over and over again. He's thinking Christmas morning, Christmas morning. Cool. He did make only... a comment. He did make a comment when the Cygnus lit up because at first it was dark, and then all of a sudden, it's like someone like put a the Christmas tree. Yeah, yeah. He made oh, that comment. Oh, yeah. And and you're saying that, that that this happened over Christmas, right? Yeah, the novelization. Yeah, the, the novelization. Yeah. So those are the only references then to Christmas. Yeah, is that yeah. and him holding on to that as they went through the black hole. Yeah, yeah killing the layers of the onion of the black hole decades later. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I recommend picking it up. I bought it from I think Half Price Books in the like the nineties, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I I absolutely loved it. I was like shocked at how much more. Um, was in it that didn't it didn't feel forced so makes me want to revisit the ending yeah for sure yeah yeah check it out with the subtitles on mm, yeah good call mm-hmm. uh yeah uh a lot of my notes oh. are just talking about how much i like vincent yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> <do you> not <laughs> right yeah that's why i have to wonder what if, if he was one, one of us sorry that's why I was wondering if like K2SO from uh, Rogue One was kind of an homage to the whole oh. Vincent vibe. Mm. He talks a lot like Vincent. Yeah. 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 So maybe that's what they can do for a Black Hole remake and just get uh, Alan Tudyk to do the voice of Vincent, which I would be a thousand percent on board with. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Where do I sign? Uh, there needs to be a super cut of his one-liners, all work and no play. Then Vincent's like, an all sun makes the desert. So say that I'm Arabs. Up his line. Yeah, Arabs, so the Arabs say. Yeah, I yeah, mean, all sun, you know. all sun make the desert or something. Yeah, makes for a Yeah, that was, that was good. One of the ones I had written down is that uh, Lieutenant Pizer says, uh, let me find it here. Oh, were you programmed to bug me? And no, <laughs> sir, to educate you. No, sir, to educate Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, goddamn, dude. Uh, got him. <laughs> I, and I, I had to look up uh, what does uh, he. He said, like, uh, those who stand and serve 
Oh shoot! Also, those who wait stand and wait also serve. Uh, I had to find. I had to look up what that meant, and that was like uh, a reference about angels who stand guard and wait. Like mm. oh, Vincent, just going with the poetry with this. Well, yeah, Vincent was quoting Cicero earlier, and like, God, you dick, you're quoting Cicero. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I also love Vincent's little uh, like uh, TV EKG screen thing in his chest. Uh, it just looks, I don't know, it's just great design, looks cool. But I also, one yeah. of the things is about his character was that he was clearly scared of Maximilian, but he still stepped right up to him. Yeah. When, mm. well, it was the whole David Goliath dynamic that Reinhardt was bringing up when they first mm-hmm. got on the ship. Yeah, mm. how, how, how uh, Vincent kept on not backing down, like, Vincent, for no reason, like, or Maximilian, for no reason, just... Being an evil nightmare thing but just turned it itself big... upside down in an elevator. Like, ah, oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then, like, Vincent clowns on him by twirling yeah, around. Like, yes! Yeah, Don't take his like, shit, Vincent. He doesn't take his shit once. Not once! Yeah. Oh, that was and, great. And then I think I think Reinhardt, what he says, like, oh, you know, with the classic uh, David and Goliath, but this time, David is outmatched. And it's like, oh, oh, oh is he? Oh, oh, is yeah. he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We shall see. <laughs> Step in, bro. Huh? <laughs> yeah. One of the cool things about Vincent was, uh, unfortunately, they couldn't pull this off, but originally his eyes were supposed to be more emotive, where it was going to be um, either animated or sort of programmed a lot like that green on his chest or his belly with the cascading and descending line going across, mm-hmm. where... Uh, where it would be programmed or animated to look around or to uh, be more, more emotive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, look scared or angry or whatever, and they couldn't pull it off, so they just replaced it with what people call Mickey Mouse eyes. Uh, See, I like white. that effect. I like that. <laughs> oh, I do too, and how the head goes into the socket and can rise up. and Yeah, yeah, that yeah was... he goes all turtle if he gets scared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I never noticed that the, that his eyes would change depending upon what was happening or his mood. I don't think, uh, yeah. I think yep. I noticed the pupils, that. The pupils would change from like between squares and circles. Oh, uh, nope. I've never noticed that, that one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's one reason why I noticed that is that I was actually looking up that uh, that Diamond Select Vincent and Bob Tupac you were mentioning, Chuck. And uh-huh. I was looking at it, and I'm like, I'm looking at Vincent. I'm like, his eyes, his pupils are circles. I look at the screen, like, no, but they're squares. And the next scene, they were circles. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, all right. So yeah, that that's you now they're they're changing them around. Um, yeah. So- mm-hmm. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, that's such a great attention to detail. Yeah, for sure. They didn't but have to do. they didn't. No, definitely not. But uh, I, I would be curious, like if they'd been able to animate them like they wanted to, how that would have turned out because they were decidedly analog looking. Um, yeah. Well, the production yeah. budget went to the zero G effects and all the uh, matte paintings because I love the matte paintings from this movie. And Amazing. So the zero, I thought the zero G on the ship was flawless. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that was wire and harness. Is that I how they did it? Yep, that was wire like- and harness. How do they get rid of the wires? That yep. like they're there. Then? You watch the well because of you know technology. Uh, you know, watching the thirty-five millimeter print and in a theater, and then seeing it on the SD TV, you know, mm-hmm. on video, you really couldn't see it. But if uh, if you watch it on Disney Plus or get the Blu-ray, you definitely see them. Even okay. the wires on the droids. Oh yeah, stuff you're never supposed to say. 
Uh, I wasn't, know. Like, no, it's crazy. It's still so smooth. It's like, good lord. Yep. Yeah, yeah, really smooth. Really, really well done. Agreed. Um, going back to the eyes of Vincent and Bob, there was something I couldn't stop thinking about uh, watching them, and I'm pretty sure that there were some robots or something in South Park that used such a similar design to those mm. eyes that I can't stop thinking about South Park when I see Vincent and Bob now. That's hilarious. I know, like, the um, South Park characters are very, very <laughs> rounded. Well, it seems like the Canadians were more kind of blocky with square eyes and... Uh, Cash uh, heads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, flapping heads. They had those yeah, flapping yeah. Heads. The, uh, what, that is racist, what? sir. That is purely racist. <laughs> I was going to say Syphil and Ollie, but that's totally not it. Uh, the, the Terrence and Phil. Terrence and Phil. Syphil and Ollie. Oh awesome. my God. You just referenced Syphil and Ollie. Syphil and Ollie. Syphil and Ollie show. Hey, everybody. Come Call me up when you're ready to do that episode. I'll be there. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're going to do the Syphil retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, In fact, I think um, if you look up. If you look up, like, uh, you know, you can watch behind-the-scenes videos and, you know, retrospectives on YouTube, but uh, there's that one video that um, you sent me from What Good Bad Flicks. Uh, there's a shot of somebody holding up the, a little uh, a little pupil up to Vincent, which I think was supposed to be uh, the original eye that was going to be animated or, again, programmed. And uh, so you can kind of see uh, an idea of what was not to come, which I thought was always pretty cool. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Go, uh, Bob, they noted, they noted at one point that he was programmed in Houston. And mm-hmm. I never noticed that. And I was like, oh, well, that's why he has this accent. Oh. Yeah. Good. He has like, like a Texas Good. accent. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that's uh, that kind of like, explains that a little bit it's not it's not just because he's old and he developed some sort of texas accent <laughs> the older <laughs> robots get purpose. the more they turn to texan yeah right <laughs> well you know and i think i mentioned this on chat a couple of days ago you got i mentioned some of the connections between this and uh stanley kubrick right um oh. obviously there's the obvious one you know the when they go through the uh black holes uh, that reminded me so much of the wormhole effect from when Bowman went through the wormhole in 2001. So that was the obvious one. But um, Slim Pickens, who did the voice for Old Bob, he was in Doctor Strangelove for Kubrick. That's right. That's right. Really? He was he was Major Kong, the guy who rode the bomb. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, and 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 the Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon reference is um joseph bottoms who played pizer and who actually is now the only surviving member of the cast because everyone mm-hmm. else has passed on wow um his brother is timothy bottoms who starred in johnny got his gun which was written and directed by dalton trumbo dalton trumbo did the screenplay for spartacus which was directed by kevin bacon Stanley kubrick Oh, oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how are we going toward Kevin Bacon? <laughs> no, that's the game. Is it, we're gonna, we're, we it. were, it, okay. but we're going toward the other guy, not Kevin Bacon. Am I the right? only one who ever played that at the bar? Um, oh, yeah. Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, or just other people? Uh, it was the base template was the Seven Degrees Kevin of Kevin Bacon, Bacon but just like 
just like um, I used to go out to the bars and you know just run to other, other cinephiles and like, hey, how, you want to play Seven Degrees of Kevin Like, oh, okay, sure, all right, you name an actor, I'll try to relate them in three movies or less. You guys are but, amateurs. I've always played Seven Degrees of Joseph Bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> the actor no, who played uh, Charlie Pizer. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I've tried to do that Kevin Bacon thing. Actually, I might be better at it now. But um, I would, I would always find myself immediately out of my depth. Same. Um, I yeah. just sort of like, like, oh, okay, yeah. I look, I know there's actors in those movies. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that much. <laughs> well, it's a lot yeah, easier now because if you know the, the cast of uh, Game of Thrones or Harry Potter, it just ties everything together. <laughs> mm-hmm. seem to that was me with uh, threats nowadays. That was oh me God, with trivia right. in general. Hmm. Um. Yeah. The the board game trivia. Every time, like the the question comes, like, oh, I should look that up. Uh, why would I know that? Um. No, I don't know. So yeah. Whoa. Those kind of games. Guys, too much memory lead. I just Keith, you just unlocked something from my subconscious that All I totally right. forgot, but is related to the black hole talking about trivia and games. Uh, in the early 90s, I was playing Trivial Pursuit with uh, some high school friends, and the question came up, and my friend Andy asked me, okay, what was the name of the evil robot in the Disney film The Black Hole? And the answer is Maximilian. Nice. He's like, he's like no, wrong. And I'm like, what? What? He's like, uh, the name that was printed on the card was Old Bob. Whoa, no. cool. Yeah, and of course nobody believed me because this was before the internet and I couldn't just pull out my iPhone and be like, That's suckers. so <laughs> frustrating. You turn oh. to the computer that's not there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was it was so frustrating. I'm like, and nobody believed me. So I uh I, I lost that one. And throughout the game, I kept them bringing up and like, okay, wink, wink, pat on the head. Sure thing. Sure, Chuck. I'm like, God damn it. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah so well, for every wrong answer after everybody's like, just like old Bob, right, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> you're a liar. Like, and shut you're up, wrong. guys. I don't like you anymore. You don't know. Like, hey, hey. But now uh, you should find gotta... them and then slap them. And like, oh, and, and, and then they do. They should apologize. Like, yep, we are yep. so sorry, Chuck. It's been yep. all the time. And we have not apologized. And, they feel like Steve with Sammy's character in Billy Madison. Yeah. yeah, boy, am I glad I called that guy. Uh, <laughs> listen, like the, the the most important thing is that they know they're wrong. And, mm-hmm. should, and all right, and and listen, I'm assuming that they all get together regularly and laugh at you. So it's really important <laughs> that you find these people and let them know how wrong they were. That's right. Yeah, so they can have gatherings afterwards about being wrong. Man. Exactly, they're, that's what they're going to do. They're going to talk about being wrong and how incredibly just right you are. Put their face in their hands, like, "Oh my god!" How come <laughs> you just weep, just weep, <laughs> <laughs> just start crying. Absolutely inconsolable. Why do we keep meeting for this? We've been wrong for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chuck. By the power of karma, you shall all pay. <laughs> Go up in a time machine, all drunk. I come out with my phone. Say, hey, you sons of guns, you. And of course, it's haunted me for 30 years. Eat it. <laughs> What's There's a no phone? Wi-Fi, so I'm like, uh, see? Fucking Maximilian. Well, I, a screen capture. Dang it. Yeah, no, here's, here's you no do. Wi-Fi. You just hit the button to try to get the internet. They'd be like, what are you doing? Who are you? 
No, listen, no, as, internet. What's that? <laughs> that's right. As future Chuck just show up with the VHS. I'm sure that you know you. But that was probably at a time when VHSs yes. were happening. To show up with that, but oh. you should still be drunk and then just <laughs> run over, <laughs> run over to the VCR. I could have it's driven so possible home. To do this without breaking the prime directive. Yes. Oh my god! I could have driven home and and got the VHS copy and driven back, but instead I had to wait. For thirty years and come for the future with a bottle of Southern Comfort in one hand and my fucking ass one in the other. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! At this, at, um, at this time, you actually did have that. Yeah, you would have had that VHS you got from the liquor store, yeah, right? Could have gone. Yeah, I could have gone back back to my parents' house and I would have gotten it. So. Wow, this is awesome! Another bottle of Soco. Yeah, there it is. It's gonna it's gonna require another bottle of Soco because that's one more thing for you to feel bad about. Is you could have fixed this then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just hope at some point in time they like one of those people found out they were wrong. They're like just watching the movie and then like Maximilian shows and like the person goes, Oh my god. And like just oh look of death on their face, like Jesus Christ. Yeah, just they go pale. <laughs> yeah. no, we, I, I bring the video over and we, I, I force them to watch the movie and at the end they're kind of looking at each other like no nah, I think old Bob was the villain. Like, no, <laughs> they were paying attention. You guys no. <laughs> no, it's old Bob they weren't paying attention. Smash the bottle of empty Soko on the floor. It <laughs> would <laughs> be even funnier if they watched the movie and they find you on Facebook and they apologize on Facebook. I'm like, I finally watched it, man. Uh, <laughs> right, the whole time. Old Bob was a hero. Yep. And so yep. were you. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Old Bob. He rested in peace. Uh, a Star Wars thing that they did do that I loved a lot and always love, and it's always been important to me ever since the 80s, is like, if you take down a bad guy, please pick up their gun. Hey, pick up more than one, even. And mm-hmm. they constantly did that. I love like the equipment um, gathering they did, where um, they they would take down a robot, they'd take up two blasters, and then like they'd pass over a blaster until they get more blasters. And also back then, um, doing like two hand uh, sci fi gun wielding almost never happened. So just the the seeing the images of them going yeah and and shooting two blasts at the same time just always brings just makes my face light up. So yeah, Face Thumbnail uh, was not the only one who went pew 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 when he came in with that. <laughs> in my heart, <laughs> I did. Stomach. <laughs> See, another Star Wars thing uh, was that Harrison Allen Shaw. He was the guy who did matte painting work on A New Hope and Empire. Uh, he also help produce Tron, he did a lot of matte painting work for the film. And his father, Peter Allen Shaw, he helped he came out of retirement to help on the film as well with matte and special effects effects work. He, Peter Allen Shaw, um worked on a lot of Disney films before the black hole, uh Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, uh Mary Poppins, Roger Island, I think Darby O'Gill and the Little People. So we've got some uh, got a good Star Wars black hole connection there. Still, oh, the camera system too. Don't forget about the camera system. Yeah, they were inspired by the. Um, oh yeah, uh, they built their own. Control. Yeah, yeah, because they couldn't get ILM. They were busy gearing up for Empire, so they formed a group called I think Aces, who came up with like a motion control system and, and was able to accomplish all that. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty remarkable, you know. And thinking about it, you know, it's really too bad that Black Hole and Tron both um, bombed. Well, 
I, I mean, maybe not bombed. Maybe that's too harsh of a word, but it would have no, been No, even great. Blade Runner bombed, man. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It, it would have been great to see what Disney could have done if they continued on with, like, kind of practical effects from that era. Like, uh, mm. you know, they had their great renaissance with, with Little Mermaid and Lion King and all that, so they went back to their bread and butter, but, like, it would have been great to see if, if Black Hole and Tron did well, how in alternate history, I'd love to see how they would have risen to compete with ILM. I, I yeah. also do wonder, like, in present time, could those techniques still be done? Like, I, we, we do, there's so much CGI, and I, I think it seems like miniatures are more and more rare. I just, I miss that almost real feeling like when i watch 80s mm-hmm. movies they feel so goddamn real like the, everyone in the acting and everyone in the cast everyone is bought into the world they're in there's no winking there's no cartoon-ish uh cgi like can that still be done or is it now just too expensive and time consuming to expensive i mean that's the thing about yeah. cgi it's infinitely cheaper mm-hmm. problem is it's yeah. too impersonal yeah, I would yeah. love like if yep. someone would dare to and and just bring us back the the visceral feel of like miniatures and practical effects like for the full movie like a challenge no CGI here's a whole bunch of money let's see what yeah. you can do well I think one of oh, one sorry. of the that's all right uh, one of the other issues with it is like we're all obsessed with realism and things looking real. Mm-hmm. And looking back at a lot of old 80s movies that used practical effects, obviously they weren't concerned with it looking super real. They were concerned with it looking cool mm-hmm. and, and, and making you feel something. So I think that uh, if we can kind of get past that and kind of get more into like, yeah, 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 all right. But especially like in horror movies, like body horror, horror movies like, like, like Extro, you know, uh, they had like such awesome uh uh, like practical effects but they they it didn't need to look exactly real so i think if we can kind of start to understand that yes we can have these and no it doesn't necessarily look like the real world but it's art eh, maybe we could do some more of that yeah Um, i one of my favorite eras of special effects is when they did a great job of melding uh practical with CGI like uh, Starship Troopers um, episodes one, two, and three. Uh, I I always love that sort of mix of the two, where you really can't for sure say, "Oh, that's definitely CGI" or "That's definitely practical." Like the um, during the pod race, the crowd and the fans of the pod race, they were just colored Q-tips that had a fan underneath them blowing to make it look like it was a moving crowd. So I, I I missed that, but yet then you have like the pod racers, which were CGI. So it was a nice, a nice mix of the two. But uh, yeah, yeah, I miss I miss those days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's um, go back to the days where Jim Cameron would run a battery through a chunk of meat to get the maggots to dance for him on cue. Yeah, how is Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> oh my God, what was that in? Galaxy of Terror. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Thank you, thank you for tipping me onto that movie, Keith. You're that welcome. Was, learning about that movie has been an, a journey. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another one of those uh, movies. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Holy shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. How have I not heard of this? This looks awesome. Yes. It's yeah, pretty Gal- fucking great. Uh, Galaxy of Terror, Battle Beyond the Stars, and Space Raiders. If you want a good late 70s, early 80s, Roger Corman, The Rise of Jim Cameron 
trilogy to go with sifting through it. That's that's an interesting one. Yeah, I like we, we turn it on and like we're just being kind of blown away by like why does this look so fucking good? And then you see James Cameron in the credits. You're like, whoa, what? When did this happen? And like the the story of that, like he 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 drove he rose up. I think in that movie, he started like as a truck driver and then like an assistant. And like he just kept on thunder killing everything that he rose up to, like another director of the uh, like a assistant director in the movie. Just, he just battled his way he, through that movie. He wrote the screenplay for Terminator: Living in a Car. Cool! Wow, wow. that is wild. Um, back to the black hole. There's that oh, line yeah. where uh, Reinhardt says, "Protect me from Maximilian." Do you guys remember that part line? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yep. was out of place. Yeah, was. Um, was apparently it's improvised. Improvised? Oh my god, what word am I looking for? Improvised. There you go. It's improvised by the actor just on the on the on the spot. So it can make basically mean whatever you think it might mean. Well, you know, it just added to his craziness. I th- I think it added to his craziness where he's, you know, pleading with her, but then all of a sudden, okay, blow the ship out of the sky, and then when he's getting crushed by that. Green, he's like yelling out to the zomb the zombie bots. Uh, you know, listen to me, help me, help me, oh fool! And, so, and I was and, wondering after he said that line, it's like, okay, is this a remnant of another plot line that was cut that maybe Maximilian had risen to to actually take command of the ship over Reinhardt, and I was just Reinhardt just going, help me. Yeah, well, I think part of it was that okay, well, he dug his own hole where he made these. Well, this is what I first thought was his what's left over his crew as those those robots um c- controlling the ship did they uh could they really not hear him or did they choose not to hear him? Was this like a situation of his own making where they really couldn't respond or they could respond and decided not to to let him die because one thing I noticed today was when he was calling out to them as he was dying. Um, it cuts to uh, two of the, I don't know what you want to call them, people, Rons. things. Yeah, yeah drones. Sitting in the foreground, and as he's in the background calling out to them, one of them turns, sort of turns his head to the other slowly. The other one doesn't say anything, or, or obviously, but doesn't react. So then the drone turns its head back to what it was doing. Cool. So I always, uh, I saw that today, and it made me think, was it intentional? Because if there is some trace of humanity left in them, that's supposed to, uh, you know, make them have funerals for one another or feel pain. So you you you're limping like that one drone was limping. Is there something still within them that uh, that could have helped Reinhardt? But because Reinhardt was a dick, uh, was that scene supposed to show? Okay, well maybe they could have helped, but they didn't. The way I read it was uh, he, he fucked up by not giving them choice or souls. Like he made mm-hmm. them into automatons that can't respond, and he probably should have, you know, if he'd left their humanity in there, then maybe he got could have gotten some help. And mm-hmm. him saying uh, "protect me from Maximilian," um, like there's like a, I think he was uh, trying to manipulate uh, the psychic lady. Uh, by getting kind of like a, a last ditch effort to get her sympathy, and like maybe if she feels that I'm also um, in danger, maybe she'll stay. Is the way I read it or felt it? Like, yeah, he's just trying to. Okay, is either that or 
I, I also did feel like a little bit of maybe he had a little fear of like of Maximilian as everyone should. Like if Maximilian ever wants to not listen, that thing can do whatever the hell it wants. But yeah, it was just a, a improvised line where, you know, you can make whatever you want of it and just a, a beautiful touch of tor- terror. Yeah, it certainly has something to that whole situation because when the doors were closing on Max when he was when Reinhardt was calling out to him, why didn't Max stop? Why didn't Max stop the elevator, come back, rescue him? I I I always wondered about that scene. Like was Max ultimately, hey, fuck you, and became like Frankenstein's monster who's so out of control that the creator can't control him anymore? But that was the vibe I got. That was absolutely uh-huh. the vibe I got. Is this sort uh-huh. of like, yeah, that he was out of control and that he kind of worked out basically in those moments, like, ah, crap. And then maybe this lady has like robot ESP, so maybe she can do something to protect him, mm-hmm. like getting, getting Maximilian's head. But now knowing that it was all improvised, no, I think he just did it in the moment and they decided to keep it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think I got one last note of, um, the, terror that I experienced as a child, which was, uh, God bless uh, Vincent makes a last strike to kill um, uh, Maximilian, but that the, the death scream, almost like a demented baby that uh, yes. freaking oh, Maximilian does, just blood-curling, like, fucking hell. That that was, yeah, that was amazing. They They definitely did not have to add that. I wouldn't imagine Maximilian would make any sounds, but Motherfucker screamed in his death, and that was horrifying. Yep, that was yelling. This is for Doctor Brandt. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> that's the exact same way Brandt went out at the hands of Maximilian. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Yep, there yep. we go. Yeah, screw it's like you. Poetry. I, it right. is beautiful poetry, and all, yeah, it's Vincent taking down that jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you always got to love a David David and Goliath thing, and you know, you kind of knew that Vincent was going to come up on top, but just like you knew they're going to get a showdown. And uh, here's a question, though: at the end, when Vincent is just kind of pressing into, uh, when Maximilian's kind of vet- pressing into Vincent, what's he is he trying to? Well, is he electrocuting him there, or what's going on? That's how I took it, and it just uh, trying to overload him. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I think it was supposed to be. Comedic in a way, too, because Vincent's head totally becomes exposed as a round ball with the glowing brain, and that and that uh, hover pops up even further. And yes. I think it was supposed to be kind of, and then he's cross-eyed, you know, so I, I took that as, like, uh, maybe they did it to sort of lighten up that scene a little bit, because it is a Disney film, but goddamn. Yeah. Worked on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a kid, like that, that little that fun, just one victory against the devil. That was uh, that was fantastic. Was nice. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, uh, how many more notes do we got? I think that's Here. it for me. But I got, I got, a, I got a couple little ones. Bring um, so first one is when they're doing the transport near the end of the movie, uh, and it's kind of like a roller coaster. It, yes. really, it really <laughs> looked like a ride. And I'm like watching that. I was like, what were they thinking? Like, if this movie's really big, mm-hmm. we can turn it into a ride at the theme parks. Absolutely. Yeah, right? they actually did have plans for it. Boom. There you go. But if the uh, movie wasn't successful enough, therefore no ride, right? 
Exactly. That's exactly uh, what happened. And I forget the details of it. Uh, it it's out there somewhere. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be like a laser gun ride or, or something. I don't know, but like a like a laser tag or I forget what it was. But uh, they were planning on something. Yeah. Or like it was supposed go. to be a roller coaster like Space Mountain or uh, yeah, I, I, I got to look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can maybe throw that into the uh, the show notes. Mm-hmm. And then also the the scene where they're doing all the firefight and everything, and then yeah. uh, and then Bob starts to do well, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh yeah, way to go, Bob!" As soon as that happens, that's like the moment where you know a character is about to die. I feel like that is that is a that is a narrative trope you see in a lot of different things where like a side character that maybe has gotten picked on or hasn't done well for a lot of it maybe they're older all of a sudden starts kicking a lot of ass that character is probably about done. Yeah, yeah. as a kid, I never thought that only because you know, Same. As a kid, I you know I didn't have that kind of trope embedded in my brain, but yeah, I could definitely see you know somebody with movie viewing experience under their belt thinking that. Yeah, as a kid, um, it got my kid, hopes no. up because <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely. like, "Oh yeah, get him, Bob! He's coming back! This is, he's he's not getting my shit anymore!" Woo! Oh my god! Why are you making me watch him die? <laughs> <laughs> he was just doing well. You're making yeah. me feel sick. Oh. <laughs> got you again. Got 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 you, kid. <laughs> Buy the toys. <laughs> hey, kid, get out of here. <laughs> Here's a little Bob toy. Your, huh? Go buy your Bob toy. Enjoy your happy meal. <laughs> <laughs> What's sad was Bob was planned for the second wave of Black Hole figures and was never made. Ah, Yeah. Rest Bob was never made? What? No, really? They had, they had a Vincent, a Sentry, Maximilian. They had uh, Durant, Kate. I'm trying to remember if they had a Reinhardt. You can look up like there's a there's a site out there dedicated to Mego, which was the uh, company that was contracted to do the figures. So they did the sort of the, they went the Star Wars route with making the little three and three quarter action figures, and uh, mm. uh, so they can do sets and whatnot. But yeah, that line did not last long, and those figures are pretty pricey nowadays. Wow, that is wild! I totally have like a completely wrong memory of there being. A uh, a Bob model because you know there's a Vincent one. Oh oh, I, um, I'm sorry, I don't mean the models, but like action figures, action. Figures. Oh gosh, gotcha. well, yeah. But you might be right though. Still, I'm not sure that there was a Bob model because uh, I'm looking it up right now, trying to find. It. I'm only seeing Vincent. Ah. Uh, so yeah. if somebody could find that, I'd be curious to see if there if there was indeed a model. Oh, maybe they want you to do what the director did, like, like what the director did to uh, Vincent and just beat the crap out of a Vincent model with a baseball bat, and they call that Bob. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that really what happened? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Nelson didn't think that Bob looked beat up enough, so he took a baseball bat to the model and said, all right, here, that's what I want. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's why like, he looks a little like a clay model that was beat up. Because it's exactly what he is. Maybe yeah. not an old figure of not old exactly. Bob, but you can Ooh. now still get yourself for twenty nine bucks. That's a great price. Yep, these are the ones I was looking at. I might actually pick these up. You know, Ooh, cool. I think there was a Bob figure. It looked like there were three waves. Um Ooh. and apparently in the third wave there was a what was called a humanoid, which are the drones, uh an old Bob and Star. But wow. uh, sold exclusively in Canadian Sears and Kmart outlets. 
for, well, when they were up for a buck. And Matt, was wow. it you who got me this Vincent pin that I have? Yeah, that Disney was World? me. Yeah, dude, cool. I got you that at, uh, from Disney World. Yep. Oh, that's cool. playing with him right now. He's at my desk. Oh, that's great. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's, that's that's so funny. Yeah, I think I think we when I went to Disney World, we had been planning on doing this, but never got around to it. And I saw that dude. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's got yeah, he's got like a little like spring loaded uh, yep. head thing. <laughs> it's pretty nice. sweet. All right. Anything well, else we I, should uh, tap? I just got two quick things uh, just for uh, just to wrap it up here on my end. Uh, the film uh, had a budget of twenty million with uh, six million for advertising. Well, an, twice as much as Star Wars. Uh, oh yeah, good point. Uh, so twenty six million to create and advertise, and it went on to make thirty five point eight million. And at the time, it was the most expensive film uh created by disney wow it's yeah. really it is a really great movie i can see like, i feel like i can see like they're like man this is gonna be fucking amazing we're gonna change the world with this movie and right. not so much no it didn't didn't work out yeah it wasn't uh wasn't this the much sought after a star wars killer yeah how much did it cost fine, you know, back in 79 sorry uh 20 uh well 20 before advertising 20 million wow yeah, but the stuff were really big, you know, they, you know, and then they had to augment that with matte paintings. So the model work and they probably had to build everything from scratch, the motion control. They couldn't just go to ILM or, well, yeah, Boss Studios wasn't around during that time. So that's probably where a lot of the money was sunk into. Just yeah, that would cost $81 million in today's money to make. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. But you know what? I'm glad it was what it was. Uh, I wouldn't want a Star Wars ripoff. Um, I mean, you could say it was a Star Wars ripoff, but besides cute robots, really nothing else about it besides space to Star Wars to me. So I'm I'm glad Disney put it out there. Yep, a beautiful and unique project. It was a risk. It was, they took a risk, and uh, you know sometimes that works out. But no matter what, yeah, it's a it's a crazy movie. Yeah, I'm totally glad it exists in general. <laughs> Crazy is the word. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> uh, it's fun. It's funny to call it a risk because Star Wars was a massive risk for 20th Century Fox, and well, look yeah, it paid off. You think well, it'd be a slam those... dunk for Disney? Oh. All right. Do we want to do some final thoughts and close up? Uh, Blackpool, and... check it out. Read the novelization. And oh, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. Uh, I'm going to go across the the board uh, unless we got uh. Any other final notes that we want to throw out? And use? Yeah, I think we're good for closing. All right, MJ, what are your final thoughts on your experience with the black hole? Um, good, that was a great topic idea to bring up because it had me go tripping through uh, late 70s, early 80s sci-fi that I hadn't really gone as in-depth with that I would have liked. I even went back and watched rewatched 2001 and Event Horizon because I hadn't seen either one of those in 20 years. Nice. Um, 2010 yeah, is really fucking good too. Yeah, and I finally got it on this one. It only took me four tries to really finally get that movie. Um, I hate myself for admitting that. Um, I like watching Christopher Nolan's last few movies, but anyway. Um, yeah, Black Hole. It's that was way better than I remember, and I'm really glad I watched it again. I, I'm actually thinking I'm going to start digging out some other late 70s, early 80s sci-fi because yeah, a lot of it was schlocky, and they're a lot of stuff that make you scratch your head why they made the decisions they did, but 
it's all entertaining and it's interesting to watch uh, how uh, sci-fi has grown from then till now. Great, and then Doc Falconer, final thoughts? Yeah, you know, if you are, say, a four- or five-year-old kid in the 80s, don't watch this. It's going to scare the hell out of you. Um, <laughs> but if you are, if that's not who you are, yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting flick, you know, and it, and it really is sort of like this, this moment in time. Um, and, and yeah, it's not perfect. You know, it has, you can see, you can see the faults, you can see that it really was a product of its time. Uh, but that said, uh, for the most part, overall, it's still a very fun watch. And uh, like, if you're a fan of, of sci-fi or just, you know, uh, seeing how they would have done things like this, um, in like 1979, yeah, then it's worth, totally worth checking out. Yeah. All right, Chuck, final feelings and thoughts. Oh, well, I uh, love this film between this and Tron. I think it represents maybe Disney's most creative time, uh, especially since, like, you know, the, the, the movie that they're best known for, Pinocchio, Snow White, and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I recommend uh, reading the novelization. Flesh it out more if you want to if you want to get more Black Hole. All right. And, yeah, um, I... I've, I've loved having this movie in my life throughout, like, you know, from being a kid to now. Uh, great space cowboy horror uh, that will mess you up, especially if you're a little child. And, um, yeah, the, the effects, the the set design, production design, all across the board just hit a level that, like, we just don't ever get to see anymore. So, uh, yeah, fantastic movie. Um, if you want more like it, uh, definitely look for Something Wicked This Way Comes. Um, and I don't know, I, I can't remember. Was Escape the Witch Mountain scary? Same director? Yeah, they might check that out myself. All right, though. Um, uh, let's see, MJ, where can you find more of you on the internet? I am on all the socials as MJ3342. As E M J A Y, not M M and J, right? Yes, yes, thank you. Yes, no problem. And Matt, the dot falconer, where can you find yeah. you on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as Doc Falconer. And uh, also, I have been helping out my friend Sarah with some episodes of her uh, X-Men the Animated Series podcast. And you can find that on Spotify and other places. It's called Gene No with four O's. <laughs> Good night. Thanks for the reminder. I have to rewatch that before the revival comes out this year. Yep, yep. Get on it. Uh, Chuck, where can we find you more, uh, more of you on the internet? Uh, you can uh, come to my site, Chuck Brosh, B-R-A-A-S-C-H, design, chuckbroshdesign.com. All right. You can find me on Instagram at Keith Justice. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Award, And you can find all this podcast and more on popgeeks.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the other side. Geek out.